0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up.
1: We hope you had a terrific Labor Day weekend. Glad you're here for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for you today, but there's a a layer of crazy over all of it, Jim, because you know how often we get good martinis from Connecticut Senator Dick Blumenthal. Uh, and uh, and we've got a bad martini from The Intercept, but The Intercept is the one actually doing the good work here. So bizarre day, but uh, hang with us. We got a lot of big news to get to here, and the reason that Dick Blumenthal is not happy and the reason that we think he's actually doing the right thing here is because he is calling out the Biden administration because, as we learned over the weekend, there are planes Waiting to take off from mazar sharif in northern Afghanistan, Uh, I believe six planes in total, and a total of 19 American citizens ready to go, not to mention probably some green card holders, possibly some uh, uh, special immigrant visa holders as well. But these planes are on hold, and we'll talk about why that might be uh, a little bit later in the podcast. But here's the thread on Twitter. From uh, Blumenthal, or more likely a staffer. Uh, he says, My staff and I have worked night and day to secure the safe passage of two planes waiting in Mazari Sharif to take American citizens, at risk Afghan allies, and their families to safety. My office joined forces in this humanitarian mission with an incredible coalition of advocates, NGOs, former service members, and journalists to try and evacuate our fellow citizens and Afghan allies. I haven't spoken publicly about these efforts because we worried that heightened attention would only escalate tensions and put these people at even greater Greater risk of being targeted. I have been deeply frustrated, even furious, at our government's delay and inaction. There will be plenty of time to seek accountability for the inexcusable bureaucratic red tape that stranded so many of our Afghan allies. For now, my singular focus remains getting these planes in the air and safely to our air base in Doha, where they have already been cleared to land. I expect the White House and State Department to do everything in their power absolutely everything uh, to make this happen. These are American citizens and Afghans who risked everything for our country. We cannot leave them behind. And so, Jim, you just kind of feel like clapping at that. I mean, it's pretty obvious that should be the position of our country right here, even though it's coming from Dick Blumenthal, who's generally wrong about everything. Good for him. And we keep getting different explanations as to why this is happening? The Taliban's holding them hostage. Other people saying, no, it's actually the State Department won't give the clearance. And so we got a lot of confusion here. Uh, but the bottom
2: line is our people are stuck there. Greg, when you see statements like this from Senator Blumenthal, you realize we could have a much better politics. We we could have a situation in which not just one or two Senate Democrats, not just one or two Senate Republicans, Ben Sass has been uh, spitting hot fire over this for several days now. Uh, several weeks, really, Um, we could have everybody saying, look, we're not going to pretend that the job is done when the job is not done. We're going to keep a focus on this. I uh, salute Senator Blumenthal's office for trying to help to do with this. My understanding is that there have been several offices who basically have either, uh, you know, you you reach out to your lawmaker, your your senator or representative. Uh, We had a few of them try to go over themselves. Uh, but kind of, you know, trying to seeing who they know in the State Department, who do they have to reach out to to say, hey, we know this person is in somewhere in Kabul. They are currently hiding. They are afraid to get to the airport. How do we get them out of the country? What do you need? Uh, and I salute them for their efforts on this. So if, if there's any little bit of a, a bad aftertaste to this good bartini, let's kind of observe Um you know, it is, you know, Blumenthal is a Democrat, and so he's not going to take a direct shot at the president or the administration. It just says, you know, deeply frustrated or even furious at our government's delay in inaction. Who, who runs the government, Greg? <laughs> right. You know, uh, all of a sudden, it's a government problem. It's just, you know, you know, if only we knew, if only the buck stopped somewhere. Uh, it's just kind of hard to tell. So again, it kind of implied is the possibility that after everybody's out, he may be, uh, you know, really tough on them in hearings or, or something like that. Um, but I, you look, you look at the statements from the administration. You look at the um, focus. That apparently, the president's supposed to give a big speech on COVID tomorrow. He was doing his usual Labor Day activities. This administration is speaking and acting as if the issue is pretty much done, or certainly the president Biden is. Uh, I'm glad to see that Blinken and uh, Secretary Austin were in Doha. Although I had real beefs with what they had said in the uh, uh, in their public statements when they were in Doha. But by and large, there are all kinds of stories about saying how the White House expects to turn the page and focus on domestic issues, the infrastructure spending bill and all that kind of stuff. And as far as they're concerned, the story of Afghanistan is over, except it isn't. And we'll talk more about that in our third martini today.
1: Yeah, absolutely right. More on Tony Blinken in that third martini as well. So uh, let's talk about some more good news. Man, Dick Blumenthal and a good martini. If you had bet on that at the beginning of the year, you could have made some uh, serious money, I suppose. But uh, we're glad he's there, and uh, maybe he's, uh, you know, uh, throwing some uh, wrenches in the engine of that Biden effort to uh, turn the page here. But we'll see. Uh, But speaking of uh, getting your engine in good shape, you want good auto insurance, right? And you also want quality homeowners insurance, but you want all of that at a good price. It's crazy how fast the prices of just about everything have been rising lately, whether it's gas, groceries, clothes, lumber, cars, you name it. And all the experts are saying it's going to get worse before it gets better. And so if you've been looking at all the ways you can personally cut costs, I think we all are, uh, you look for ways to save whenever you can. And a good place to save a bunch right now is by making sure you've got the best rates on that auto insurance. And that starts
2: with Gabby. Greg, I'm about to say something I've always wanted to say in an auto insurance ad. Shopping for auto insurance sucks. (laughs) We get it, and so does Gabby, and that's why they do all the work for you. Things that would take days or weeks, Gabby can do in minutes. Gabby uses your current policy to compare your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers. We're talking about companies like Progressive and Nationwide and Travelers. They are the one true comparison platform with fast, verifiable quotes, not ballpark guesses. And because Gabby uses your current coverage, they only show policies that are the same or better than your current coverage, many of them at a lower price. And Gabby is free to use and they never sell your information, so you'll never have to deal with annoying spam or robocalls. That is a great plus from Gabby. But
1: as Jim laid out, it's a very simple process. You just put in your basic information, where you live, how old you are, things like that into the system, and then you link to your current insurance policy so Gabby knows what you've already got covered, and then they show you what these other companies will charge you for the same coverage. It's just that simple. And so you take a look at the information. There's no obligation. You decide what to do with it. Uh, Mrs. Karimbas and I decided that what we had was uh, the right thing to keep, but it was great to have that peace of mind. But you should know that people who switch with Gabby save, on average, $80 a month versus their current policy. $80 a month. That's almost $1,000 a year. And it's not just me that loves Gabby. Gabby has been featured in TechCrunch, Forbes, and USA Today. Start saving on your auto insurance today. Go to Gabby.com slash martini to start saving today. Totally free. That's gab com slash martini. Gabby.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's move to our bad martini now, but uh, it's good that The Intercept broke this story. Uh, The Intercept uh, is responsible for getting hundreds of pages of documents through FOIA requests as it pertains to uh, gain-of-function research and what the National Institutes of Health role has been in that. And basically what we've learned is that Dr. Fauci, and to some extent Dr. Collins, have not been telling us the truth, which I know will not shock people like Rand Paul and some other people. Uh, But uh, in addition to all the uh, details we got from the documents themselves, there's this guy named uh, Dr. Richard Ebright from Rutgers University who kind of parses it into uh, English for the rest of us who aren't familiar with uh, all the documentation on this. Uh, He says the materials confirmed the grant supported the construction in Wuhan of novel chimeric SARS-related coronaviruses that combined a spike gene from one coronavirus with genetic information from another coronavirus and confirmed the resulting viruses could infect human cells. The materials reveal that the resulting novel laboratory-generated SARS-related coronaviruses could infect mice engineered to display human receptors on cells. So basically, a lot of work being done with bat coronaviruses on mice with human cells, and it turns out that uh, this was in fact being funded by the NIH through an American-based health organization called EcoHealth Alliance. So, Jim, I know you've uh, dug into this a lot more than I have, so put it even more into English for us.
2: How big of a bombshell is this? For the last days, weeks, months, and really two years, we've heard, why won't Americans just trust the science? Well, because there's increasing evidence that the people who are the public health experts who've been leading us throughout this have not been honest with us. And this appears to be one of the most glaring examples. And maybe there was a point very early on where uh, Fauci, Collins at NIH, these guys could have said, yeah, we gave this money to EcoHealth Alliance. We thought they were doing worthwhile research that could help fight the next SARS-like outbreak. We never thought these idiots would actually set off the next SARS-like outbreak. Uh, We feel betrayed. We can't believe these guys uh, did this. And, And they could have... But they didn't. And I think the reasoning was uh, that if the, US, if, if the world really knew what was going on there, they, the moment you describe gain of function research to the average person, they look at you like you're crazy. Like why on earth would, would scientists really be trying to make viruses more dangerous, more virulent, more contagious? Doesn't the world have enough of this? Why would we need to go into a lab and create something that's even worse than what exists in nature? people don't see the point of it. They see the extraordinarily high risk of an accident and they see um, the idea of somebody malevolent attempting to use it as some sort of bioweapon is a really terrible, terrible idea. And it is worth noting, there have been many strong suspicions and let's just say circumstantial evidence pointing to the fact that at minimum, what's going on at the Wuhan Institute of Virology was what they call dual use. Meaning the more you know about how dangerous viruses uh, replicate and spread and, and affect the body and things like that, All the stuff you're learning, allegedly in the name of public health, you can also apply to applications of developing biological weapons. That knowledge works both ways. It's not like you can, oh, this knowledge can only be used defensively or something like that. In the case, uh, in today's corner, uh, I wrote a post because there's a, the Washington Post did a pretty darn good uh, detail, kind of the history of the Wuhan Institute of Virology. There are two things that jumped out at me. Uh, One was how in May, 2019, notice the timing, the Wuhan Institute of Virology staff filed into an old-fashioned lecture hall where a local representative of the China's National Administration for the Protection of State Secrets discussed the national security risks of the Institute's research and warned of infiltration efforts by foreign spies. According to an account published by the Institute's parent organization, the Chinese Academy of Sciences, the researchers signed pledges to protect confidential information. Now, why would a civilian medical research institution that is in full compliance with the Biological Weapons Convention and that totally is not doing anything with military or bioweapon applications, they tell us, and they're all they're doing is researching viruses in order to develop better treatments, protect people from, why would they be so worried about foreign spies? I'm sure we have like, you know, security guards at places like the CDC, but we don't see the CDC as a major uh, U.S. resource. So we've got to keep up. The whole point of the CDC is to work with the World Health Organization. And if, you know, God forbid, we find about some terrible new virus, well, we've got to tell the world about it. Why is it really important that the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which was helped built by the French and it was supposed to be this grand effort at, you know, Chinese leadership on the global health stage, why are they worried about spies infiltrating it? unless it's got something that's of great importance to Chinese natural security, and that they don't want other countries to know about. The second thing, which I, I wrote about, which I think is relevant in light of this, uh, the assurances of Fauci that we weren't funding something like this and they would never do something like that, uh, is a statement from the uh, deputy director of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, Juan Zeming. I'm probably mount- mangling his name, but I don't particularly care. Uh, <laughs> that he's basically saying the Wuhan lab, has. Uh, category biosafety level four lab has never seen any laboratory leaks or human infections since it began operating in 2018. I can't prove that that's BS, but I had a really strong suspicion that that is BS. In part, uh, in today's corner, I kind of laid out all these things. The sad thing is that lab accidents happen all the time. Thankfully, they don't really have really terrible consequences. They don't set off a terrible uh, global pandemic, but you know, people stick themselves with needles. Animals pee on them. Uh animals shed viruses, the goggles don't fit, the mask doesn't fit, something goes wrong. You know, things happen. Things that are supposed to uh, uh neutralize uh, uh virulent uh pathogens doesn't always work. Stuff expires. Every conceivable dumb human being based, oh, how could that happen? It happens in laboratories and it happens with like really unnerving regularity. Thankfully, it's not that well, often, but you know, the, I, I go through a whole bunch of research papers on this. The first thing is like, there is no centralized authority that tracks this sort of thing. Even in the United States, we, we don't always do a great job of keeping track of these. So the idea that China has got this spectacular system, if they had lab accidents, they would know about it. But it's basically, in the, of the United States labs, 2002, 2004, all the information we have on this is based on surveys. One survey of clinical laboratory directors revealed that approximately one third of laboratories reported at least one laboratory acquired infection. Now, if that happens this often in United States labs, how likely is it that a lab that US observers went to and said they do not have enough properly trained technicians to handle this equipment? How likely is it that they never had an accident like that? I find myself, I just characterize myself as supremely skeptical. And I think this helps elaborate why so many people in the scientific community March 2020 or or you know April and May it was oh no this has to be a it has to be from the wet market it has to be a natural one couldn't possibly be a lab leak because if the if people knew that the US government had been financing dangerous research in a Chinese lab people like Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins would lose all of their uh all, all public they'd, they'd be pariahs they they, they, would, they would be seen as people who were indirectly responsible for the COVID-19 pandemic and that I suspect is what we've been dealing with really for the better part of two years now. And it is an egregious betrayal of their oaths to basically be honest with us. And you know, it's one thing to say, oh, we thought we could trust the Chinese, like we, we could debate that, it's a really dumb idea. But to say, we thought, you know, to basically trust the Chinese, get caught and then try to cover it up. Well, now you're making it even worse and you're making the world go on a wild goose chase looking for some, you know, as The China says you know frozen food products and and things like that that are the cause of it. Instead of looking at the most likely scenario that one of the three institutions on Earth that was working on uh, gain of function research in the types of viruses, coronaviruses found in bats, you know, we lo and behold we ended up with a novel coronavirus found most most similar to those found in bats right outside the Wuhan lab.
1: Jim, this question uh, probably answers itself, but. Is this why the report on the lab leak came back totally inconclusive because the trail would end up right back what we're talking about now?
2: God, I'd hate to think that's the case, but it certainly, you know, it certainly suggests that there are a lot of people in the scientific community who are really worried about this getting out because they fear the public would never trust them again, which is understandable, and also that the the public would never want to fund their research ever again. And it's just utterly infuriating. I can't sleep at night. Well, if
1: that's your problem, Jim, have I got news for you that's going to help? It's from my pillow. It's not going to solve the problem in Wuhan. It's not going to solve the problem in NIH, but it will solve the problem in terms of you getting good rest. And that's because there's nothing better than slipping into bed with soft, comfortable sheets at the end of a very long day. Not only do you have the great my pillow itself, but now uh, my pillow wants you to sleep better with their Giza dream sheets, and that's uh,
2: after you've worn the fantastic my slippers all day. Now, the current offer is that for a limited time, you can receive 50% off any Giza Dream Sheets with a price as low as $49.99. Or you can get 50% off my slippers, or both. The Giza Dream Sheets, imagine sliding into the most comfortable sheets you will ever own guaranteed. They're made from the world's best cotton, which is grown only in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. It's long staple cotton makes it ultra soft and breathable. These sheets are available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and they have both a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. Now, before you slip into those Giza Dream sheets, you'll have to slip out of your My Slippers,
1: and it'll, you'll be a little bit reluctant to do that because they're just so comfortable. Uh, my Pillow took two years to develop these slippers. They're designed to be worn indoors or outdoors all day long, and I can tell you that uh, they are fantastic on the feet, uh, and I, I love wearing them all day long. My Pillow has this foam and the impact gel to prevent fatigue as you continue to wear them, and they're made with quality leather suede. I love the sheets, I love the slippers, love the pillows too, and for a limited time you can save 50% on all Giza Dream Sheets and my slippers. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square and use the promo code MARTINI at checkout. Or call 800-874-0104. You'll also find deep discounts on all the other MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, the MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. Don't miss the sale of the year. That's MyPillow.com promo code martini, or call 800-874-0104. Sleep better with MyPillow.com. All right, Jim, let's uh, talk about our crazy martini now, and it's uh, very much related to the first one, and that's Americans and our friends still stuck in Afghanistan. And so, as we mentioned over the weekend, I think it was CBS, actually, that first was talking about these flights in and mazar sharif and stuck on the ground for many, many hours, and now it's days. Uh, And uh, people are obviously saying, well, if they're not allowed to leave and they want to leave, they're called hostages. But uh, Anthony Blinken has decided that uh, this is actually not a hostage situation because uh, the Americans are being allowed to leave. It's the other people on the plane, Jim, that don't have the proper documentation. And so I don't know exactly how they define not having the proper documentation, but, you know, you could always take them off and uh, let the other people go. Uh, maybe consolidate them if it's a lot of people you have to remove. But uh, it's not just uh, people without documentation who cannot leave. Voice of America had an interview with a woman they identified only as Nazria, who I believe is in Kabul, says she went to the airport with her new husband. She's pregnant. They want to get out of the country, get to the United States. They got to the checkpoint. They were told by the State Department that uh, all you have to do is show up. The troops will come out to get you. This is before we left, obviously. Uh, but that's not what happened. Here's what she says happened.
2: They told us, go to a certain location, you will be picked up. And this is from the State Department. You will get picked up, go there. And it was in the middle of the road, across the airport. So we went there, waited an extra 12 to 13 hours with no food, no water, nothing.
0: She'd waive her passport. Yeah. They won't let yeah. us go. They're <laughs> gassing us at yeah. But day and night, the Taliban kept blocking her.
2: I was got gun pointed to my head. Our troops were literally at the gate just waiting for us to continue walking. And they had blocked us. And there was a time where, like, I went past them and I started walking as fast as I can. And they started shooting right by my leg and told me to come back or they would shoot me. That's how it was. And I've never in my life have ever been experienced anything like this.
1: Now she's holed up in Afghanistan. Uh, The State Department's still telling her to just hang tight and they'll figure out how to get her out. And she's pretty much now coming to the conclusion that she's never going to get the chance to leave. So uh, Blinken, just the same day we pulled out, said, of course, Jim, that uh, if you're an ally, if you're an American and you want to leave, Taliban's totally going to let you leave. Wasn't true when we were still there.
2: Not true now. No, and and, it's worth remembering this is... We're now one week into September, right? U.S. troops have been out for a week. So the idea that we were going to see the Taliban helping assist Americans get out and they were going to keep their word and that this was a, a kinder, gentler Taliban or a moderate Taliban that wasn't going to be so bad. Well, you know, on the weekend, Ron Klain, the White House chief of staff, was asked how many Americans have gotten out since U.S. forces departed. He didn't answer that question at all. Now, you like to think if they had some examples, they'd be pointing to those examples. And then finally, yesterday, or I guess early this morning, Blinken mentioned this family of four. It was a woman and, and three children. Um, by the way, Corey Mills, there was a, they, were, they were gotten out by U, uh, U.S. veterans. It was not something that was facilitated by the U.S. State Department. Corey Mills is an interview with Fox News, and he's livid, basically saying, no, you did nothing. She reached out to the State Department multiple times and got no help. We got this woman out and her, and her children out. And this woman describes trying to get to the airport and a Taliban fighter holding a pistol to her head and telling her not to come back. And, of course, then the Taliban started asking her friends where they can find her. Right. This is not a different Taliban that's going to help people get out or something like that. They, you know, This claims that, oh, the Taliban is letting anyone with valid travel papers leave Afghanistan if they choose. That's not happening. We keep seeing these nonsense statements from people behind podiums and lecterns in Washington, D.C., saying that everything is fine. And then the people on the ground are saying completely different things. And even I'm going to be I'm going to be really generous with Blinken, more, much more so than he deserves. Let's assume that the negotiations they're having with the Taliban, the discussions they're having with the Taliban, the Taliban representatives are saying, yes, we will let Americans leave. Uh, by the way, they've never said they're going to allow uh, Afghans with special immigration visas to leave. That's a very they're hunting those people down. Ron Klain was asked about that on the Sunday shows. And he said, well, we get all kinds of reports, which is, you know, uh, unbelievable refusal to grasp with the moral consequences of the fact that people we who helped us out, who stuck their necks out on the line are facing death. They are facing being tortured to death. The Taliban just went out and murdered a policewoman who was eight months pregnant in front of her family. This is who we're dealing with. The idea that we would rely on these guys for anything is just mind-boggling. But let's assume that the Taliban negotiator in the room in Doha is a really swell guy, and he says, oh, we're going to do everything we can to help you get Americans out. Well, not every 18-year-old kid with an M4 rifle at every checkpoint is necessarily answering to this guy. The Taliban is a very ragtag band of largely uneducated, and in some cases illiterate, uh, you know, young men who are hopped up on God knows what and who are, are full of adrenaline and who have itchy trigger fingers. You know, just because the Taliban says this is our policy, it doesn't mean that every guy at every checkpoint is going to honor that policy. They're just not that organized and disciplined of force. So the idea that, oh, that the Taliban assurance says they're going to do this, this doesn't mean anything. It, it, it's like an assurance from President Biden that the Afghan army is going to hold up. <laughs> you know, it's this it's ludicrous. Oh, don't worry. The Taliban says it's going to be fun. Like, and they said, well, look, we're not just taking the Taliban's word for it. We're following the Taliban's actions. Well, it's been a week. What more do you need to see that the Taliban's actions are not matching their words? So. It's just utterly exasperating. And I mentioned um, Secretary of Defense Austin being there in uh, Doha. There's just one last detail I want to share with our listeners. Um, At one point, Austin made this this, comment that struck me as a really big admission where he says, there's no question it will be more difficult to identify and engage threats that emanate from the region now that we don't have U.S. forces on the ground in Afghanistan. Greg, back on July 8th, Biden was saying, our military and intelligence leaders are confident they have the capabilities to protect the homeland and our interests from any resurgent terrorist challenge emerging or emanating from Afghanistan. We are developing a counterterrorism over the horizon capability that'll allow us to keep our eyes firmly fixed on any direct threats to the United States and the region and act quickly and decisively if needed. So Biden is saying, don't worry, we can handle the threats that emerge from Afghanistan after we leave. And Lawson is admitting, yeah, admittedly, it's gotten a lot more difficult because we don't have troops on the ground. Everything Joe Biden said on July 8th was a lie.
1: So obviously our troops are gone. I mean, we might have some, you know, clandestine people still in the country. We probably do. And at this point, no
2: one's going to want to help us. So other than satellites, what do we have? Uh, drones, uh, you know, but even the drones would have to be launched from either Dro- Doha or from offshore. Look at a map. We, we just don't have that many friendly bases around there anymore. But, you know, Biden's convinced this is this is a grand victory and enormous success. And China and Russia are so upset that we've, you know, we're nowhere near this. Anyway. Yeah. When your only policy is we expect the Taliban
1: to to honor their word. Uh, You have no policy. You literally have no policy. It's just you're You're hoping for the best with barbarians. Yes. Not good. Not good. Well. Anyway, we're off and running this week, Jim. Hopefully we have better news as uh, as time warrants. But hey, Dick Blumenthal, enjoy your day. There's probably not going to be a lot of them. We'd love to have you in the good martini a lot more. Start voting against some things like $3.5 trillion boondoggles and, and such. I'm not expecting it. But hey, if you want to get back in the good martini, there are ways to do it. Uh, Jim, have a good one. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. Uh, If you don't already, tell your friends about us as well. We are very, very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Get us also on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Tuesday, and please join us on Wednesday for the next All right, one more bit of good news, Andy, and that is the fantastic deals you can find at 4 slash martini, including their signature offer right now, a free solar panel with the purchase of the Patriot Power Generator 2000X, and of course, free shipping on all orders over $97. You want to be prepared. You don't want to get caught unprepared. 20 times faster than normal. So visit 4 martini to get your Patriot Power Generator 2000X with the free solar panel included. Plus get free shipping on orders over $97. Save more and get peace of mind now by going to the number 4patriots.com martini. That's 4patriots.com martini.